Hello, listeners. Before we go into today's episode, just a quick note from this episode's sponsor. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Pod Go section of the application. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I am Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Monica, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about chapters 10 through 12 of The Last Olympian. trying to rack my brain for what casual chit chat i have (laughs) head empty yeah we could just jump into it i mean there's just a lot going on here um, yeah and it's all great and i feel like we have a lot to talk about i'm very i'm particularly excited that the minotaur makes a return in this chapter these chapters I, I mean, missed him. missed him. Yeah, exactly. Especially you. He's your ideal yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's my ideal bim- himbo. I almost called him a bimbo. Mixed up <laughs> my terms. He's my ideal himbo man. So, you know, I was really wondering what he was doing and rotting and rebuilding in Tartarus. And now he's he's back for me. <laughs> <laughs> Better than ever. He's got pants now, too. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's all dressed up for me. <laughs> All right, to summarize, I had that stupid TikTok song stuck in my head, so I'm like, we're in the thick of it now. Into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. Ugh. Ugh. Okay, but Backyard Against kind of slaps. Constantly. I remember watching that as a child. Uh, Was I a child? I must have been I didn't watch it as a... My sister watched it, and I critiqued it because I was like you know, three years older, three years wiser. I was like, this is dumb. I hate this it. This isn't ideal media for me. <laughs> yeah. And she really liked it, so therefore I had to hate it, you know? Ugh. But now I'm like, those those songs slap. Continue. Your yeah. summary. <laughs> <laughs> the battle is in full swing, and we have a small group of teenagers to defend society as we know it. What can go wrong? Ha! <laughs> I kind of fixate on this point, so prepare yourself. <laughs> Chapter 10, I buy some new friends. The entire city seems to be asleep. People are curled up on the side of the road, pulled over in the cars, and so many other convenient ways where they somehow avoided not dying. Like, there's not just mutilations and piles of car crashes everywhere. I think that was very convenient. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Percy sends Argus back to protect camp, but not before he gives Percy a gift that Annabeth helped make with Beckendorf. It's a shield that bends the sunlight or moonlight anywhere in the world, so it's like essentially they can FaceTime on a, on a shield. It's very exciting. <laughs> It'll allow them to see better about what's going on in the city, since they literally have an army of 40 children. I, I need to emphasize that is like not even a normal size field trip amount of children. Yeah, and like half of them aren't even like sixteen, you know. Like they're a lot babies. Of them are Twelve. The gods are like our last line of defense: a medium-sized school field trip group. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so they're supposed to protect all of New York City, 
And I think, like, they, they only emphasize the, like, Manhattan, but, like, I have a feeling the boroughs are not safe either. No. Percy then sends Mrs. O'Leary to find Grover and to get his help. The demigods discuss why they didn't fall asleep, and Selina, who's surprisingly knowledgeable about spells, explains that since it's such a big spell, it's much easier to resist, especially for demigods who are a little bit more magical. Annabeth calls Percy's attention back to the shield where they see demigods on speedboats, like Bond villains. I was like, why? <laughs> They're like fully in armor, Bond villain style, heading towards Manhattan. Luke's really into boats. He loves boats. Was he like one of those like rich, fratty boat boys? I mean, we oh, know he wasn't. 100%. He was like a homeless child who ran away. But like, yes. I feel like in another life, he like, he wore polos and... I think at one point, I don't think it's Luke. I think it's Kronos. Kronos <laughs> was the president of his fraternity. Oh my gosh, Kronos is a frat guy. He's a frat guy. I mean, even when Percy sees, like, she's like, Luke is like a surfer guy. And then he sees Luke kind of becoming Kronos's minion. It's like Luke suddenly looks like the president of his frat. Like, he's got the khakis, he's got the polo, he's got the boat shoes. Oh my gosh, it's Kronos's influence. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, joining Kronos is the equivalent of joining a frat. Oh my god, wait, did we just discover something? <laughs> do they rush? Do they have rush? The do rush was amazing? murdering, trying to murder Percy. No one has passed. It's the rush of murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that I also fixated on was they have a battle flag, which is the, the, the scythe that Kronos holds on, like, a black background. And Percy's like, I hadn't seen it before, but it could only be Kronos' battle flag. And I'm like, I'm obsessed with the idea that Kronos doodled, a, like, a flag mock image in his dream journal. And was just like, <laughs> I cannot wait to put this on my speedboats, which my minions will be riding. He was like, minions, make this come to life and, like, show them his drawing. <laughs> Or he's like, I want it to match my charm bracelet. <laughs> yes, there we go. It's an aesthetic. Complete. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, he's got I a vibe. It. Like, camp, the Camp Half-Blooders, I don't know what, the campers, that's more of a word. They don't have an aesthetic going. <laughs> no, they're all just orange. discombobulated. Yes, orange. Lots of orange, which is so bright, and like, they're mm-hmm. not hiding from anyone. No. <laughs> Alright, so there are enemies coming from every side of the island. From what they can tell, Manhattan is asleep and up to 50 mile radius is completely, you know, out. The closer you get to Manhattan, time slows down. This means any mortals outside of this radius are moving at a snail speed to get into the, the commuters, etc. getting into the island, but most of them are also automatically veering away from the island and turning back. Subconsciously, some magic is working here and there. The demigods are literally on their own. Percy confidently announces that they're going to hold Manhattan. He remembers Athena's advice about the rivers and assigns himself to take care of the enemies coming in our speedboat with the flag. (laughs) He stations everyone at different points based off of their cabin and automatically asks Clarice to guard 59th Street Bridge before remembering she's an absolute pain in the ass and hasn't shown (laughs) up. Annabeth saves his embarrassment and the Athena cabin takes the bridge. Percy tells everyone to memorize Annabeth's cell phone number and use random people's cell phones as burner phones in order to stay in contact. So that way monsters can't really track their location, which is the usual problem with cell phones apparently in this Mm -hmm. universe, which then led me to dive into like, how do cell phones work? Would walkie talkies work? What is, what Mm. is the point? Like, what is the part of the cell phone that the monsters are fixating on? Because like, 
yeah, you can ping it off a certain cell phone tower, especially in what, 2000, what is this, 8? Yeah, 2010, 20, 2009, I don't know, man. Yeah, like the iPhone. 2009. Like, maybe a couple people have iPhones. You know, it's not really that big. Everyone has iPod touches with, like, texting availability via Wi-Fi. And I'm just kind of like, but you, don't you, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you just, like, ping it off of a cell phone tower and then you can tell that this is the area they might be based off of the cell phone tower at that time and point. Now we have better tracking technology because everything's a microchip. We're all microchipped. Um, I don't know the answer to how cell phones work. Why do don't know. you? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the internet, it's like such a specific question to ask the internet too. Because I'm like, okay, can you use walkie-talkies if you can't use a cell phone? And I was like talking about like the terminal and the different wavelengths. I'm like, oh, that doesn't matter to me. If I'm a demigod and in this universe, <laughs> I can't use cell phones. Can I use walkie-talkies? And surprisingly, the internet didn't have an answer for me. You're like, in 2009, could I use a cell phone without tracking my location? Yeah. Do I have that ability? I mean, even if they had iPhones, like, you can turn off your location tracking. Uh, To a point, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's still, they're still watching us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I I was confused. I was like, if you're going to come to a war, wouldn't you have, like, super satellite grade um, walkie-talkies, if you can make a shield that is a why video camera. Yeah, why haven't the Hephaestus kids made, like, communication devices? That seems a lot easier than a shield. 100%. Like, just, like, even little things that you can talk to each other in your ears. And this doesn't involve a rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Hephaestus kids were like, we don't personally want to communicate with anyone. Yeah, that's kind so of the vibe. therefore, yeah. Anyway... So we are introduced to a character named Jake Mason, which is hilarious to me. I'm like, that's two first names, but continue. But also, and like, masonry? Hephaestus cabin masonry? You know? Was he in Hephaestus cabin? Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's okay. the replacement for Beckendorf. Oh, Rick goodness. often names people, like, Katie Gardner, child of Demeter. Gardner? Like, really? <laughs> oh, that's actually really funny. I never even really realized that. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, that's why uh, Demeter was like, you know, I'll, I'll meet your dad. Yeah. That's fine. He seems like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> His ancestors know. He's like, she meets him and is like, you're not actually a gardener? He's like, no, I code for a living. I know. But your name. <laughs> oh, anyway. So Jake Mason reminds Percy he hasn't guarded the Lincoln Tunnel and they're all out of campers. Luckily, our prophecy dodger, Talia, shows up with a large, about 30 hunters, which almost doubles their small army size, which is pathetic. Now it can be an average field trip group size. It could fill maybe two buses instead of one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) She says it's a long story where she's been, but she can't wait to catch up with Annabeth and him after the literal war that they're fighting is over. Percy then gives a wonderful speech to motivate his army of, again, 40 children yelling in a silent New York City, which is quite depressing. Annabeth and Percy find a scooter from some sleeping guy and move through the city, stopping to sleeping pedestrians who have passed out in front of cars or at some dangerous, precarious positions and move them towards safety. They pull over at Madison Square Park and Annabeth runs over to a bronze statue of William H. Seward. Turns out the city has a bunch of automatons everywhere that Daedalus planted, and Annabeth is going to activate with the help of his notes. 
She turns turns him on and gives him a command, and the automaton moves east to turn on other statues. They I'm just park- googling who William H. Seward is. <laughs> he's apparently, according to the book, he's like the son of a mayor or something. He was United States Secretary of State from 1861 to 1869, and was also the governor of New York. Um, he was an opponent of slavery. That's nice. That's new and different. That's new and different. I'm sure he's still, oh, his father owned slaves, though. Um, (laughs) he was anti-Mason, whatever that means. So, against Jake Mason. He's against jake mason mm. oh it's a it was the first third party in the united states oh well mm. they didn't last very long huh no they really didn't well <laughs> i'm just trying to find a scandal here <laughs> why are you trying to ruin <laughs> william h seward he's going and helping activate other automatons around the city he was in a frat <laughs> Oh my god, he totally worked with Kronos. He's He was in the frat with Kronos. <laughs> just like, do they not have anything about, like, personal life? Did he, like, Yeah, you and they just scroll down to the Wikipedia and the personal I'm life. on his Wikipedia. <laughs> Are you ready to let him go? I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm not finding anything that fascinating i just know there's gotta be dirt on him anyway continue (laughs) i'm sure he was a big misogynist don't worry yeah 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 okay so they park right where the east river and the hudson meet and percy walks right into the water he reminds everyone that city water especially a city like new york has quite gross water and he's like debris is floating trash is floating around him as he floats to the bottom he gets to the bottom and gets to a point where he can feel both river's currents and he begins taunting them. He's like, you know, I have a feeling that they're New York rivers. They're going to come and try to fight me to my face and I need to talk to them. So taunting them is a great way to get them in my face. Mm-hmm. Two very angry river gods slash spirits showing up, show up. One of them looks like one of my sea dogs and is glowing radiation green. I'm like, That's <laughs> healthy. And the other one looks more like a human dude but with algae in his like face hair and stuff in the process of trying to get in percy's face they end up almost fighting each other until percy calls their attention again when they try to blast him out of the water they realize that he's the son of poseidon a and b he's also taking the dip in the river sticks so they can't really harm him percy then asks them to get rid of Cronus's army that's crossing them right now and obviously the rivers are indifferent to olympus falling they're like how does this affect us but then Percy tempts them with quote-unquote money. It's the sand dollar his dad gave him last year for his birthday. His only birthday gift he's ever wow. gotten from his father. He, and it was just a token to trade away. <laughs> I know. The river gods lose their mind and agree to do whatever Percy asks them. And Percy breaks the sand dollar in half to give them one each half. And the gods knock out all of Cronus's army that was in the water. Apparently, sand dollars clean pollution away, so, you know, Poseidon could have done this a long time ago and, you know, helped clean our rivers, but... Why haven't we tried that yet? Just throwing sand dollars into the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) What even are sand dollars? Sand dollars alive? Yeah. What is a sand dollar? Is it a clam? No. Oh, God. Are we going to go on this tangent? (laughs) have to. A sand dollar is a burrowing sea urchin. So it's alive. Did Poseidon kill it? Per- hasn't Percy been wearing it around his neck? 
Oh, in New Zealand, they call them sea cookies. That's so cute. I want to call it a sea cookie. Huh. All right, back to it. Sorry. Before Percy swims away, he hears the rivers laugh at each other, and they say, end quote, Curse of Achilles, they always think that'll save them, don't they? If only they knew. And it's like, it's like it's literally called a curse of Achilles. Like, I, we all assume it'll end badly. Thank you so much, yeah. Rivers. Yeah. Annabeth is on the phone when Percy comes back and tells him the bad news. Another army is marching over to Williamsburg Bridge, and the Minotaur is leading the army. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Your man. He's here. <laughs> So my notes, basically, it's like very convenient that Percy is from Manhattan, born and raised, yeah. because if this was happening and I was in charge, Google Maps would be on and the monsters would be tracking me like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know where anything is. Like, it's a grid system, but I don't know all the bridges and tunnels. And he'd be right? like, oh, you know, maybe station someone at like, what, Central Park? That's a place. <laughs> it would not be well done. <laughs> Also, again, ranting about Clarice, what is her end goal? Because if all of her friends die because she's not there to save them, that sucks because she doesn't even get to say I told you so. And also that's a shitty thing to do. But if they live and they manage to do everything on their own and everything's fine, they just proved that they don't need her and they will never ask her to join another fight again. Like, I would simply be like, Clarice, you're cut off from my entire life forever. Yeah, Clarice is not logical here at all. Not that she often is. But she's really yeah. lacking it here. Whereas Achilles didn't care. I mean, if we do the comparison to Achilles and Patrocles, Achilles didn't care because he didn't care about the Greeks. He's like, yeah, he I'm fighting for war. my own name. Yeah, he doesn't mm-hmm. care who dies and who lives. But if Clarice is supposed to be somewhat human, and these are like some people she might care about a little bit enough that she would want them to die. Well, the one she cares and, about is selena and the one achilles cared about was patrocles so it's a little fruity (laughs) it's fruity by and somehow the straightest thing that rick has ever done to us that's true yeah all right that's all on my end okay my turn chapter 11 we break a bridge blackjack and his friend pork pie which i in my notes i just wrote why are the why are the pegasi named like this i don't understand just as odd but it's fine they show up to bring percy and annabeth over to the williamsburg bridge where our favorite claire's patron the minotaur has arrived Mm -hmm. and is tormenting the apollo kids it's basically chaos there there are cars burning monsters closing in arrows flying Annabeth and Percy spot the Minotaur from the sky, who's gotten a look upgrade. No longer does he only wear underwear, this time he's ready for battle in like a full set of armor. And Percy and Annabeth are dropped off behind the lines with the Apollo cabin. They catch up with Michael Yu, who is strategically name-dropped here for no reason whatsoever. The mm-hmm. only one who's name-dropped. No reason. Well, does he come up um, earlier? He's the one who dis- yeah. uh, dissed Clarice. And he's also the head counselor for Apollo. Because mm. the last one was killed in the last book. Lee Fletcher. Oh, Lee Fletcher. May he rest in peace. Rip. Another one who was strategically name-dropped and then something <laughs> happened to him. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not looking good for Michael Yu. 
know. Well, Michael Ewan informs Percy and Annabeth that they don't have the flying chariot because, like, the Apollo cabin was supposed to have it because they left it at Camp Four Clarice, like, as a peace offering, and she still isn't there, which is so stupid, and now they're out of a flying chariot. Percy says that they're going to drive the enemy back to Brooklyn, which looks pretty futile to everyone else there since there are so many monsters, but he draws his sword and, against her will, tells Annabeth to stay with Michael and the Apollo campers. And then I guess Percy suddenly, finally, is like looking at Annabeth and is like, oh, that's why I saw her in the river sticks and get angry when she talks about Luke. I think I like her. And he's so saucy here. And I'm going to read what he says. I kept my eyes on Annabeth. She nodded reluctantly. All right, get moving. Before I could lose my courage, I said, don't I get a kiss for good luck? It's kind of a tradition, right? I figured she would punch me. Instead, she drew her knife and stared at the army marching toward us. Come back alive, seaweed brain. Then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this Percy's first flirt? <laughs> Ever? The Ever? first time his brain has worked enough for him to <laughs> flirt back? Percy! <laughs> like a little badge, Percy's first flirt. <laughs> Like, I just want to know what his, because he doesn't really say what he's thinking here. Like, there's no internal dialogue. It's just like he looks at Annabeth and then is like, I'm going to say this. But I'm like, I want to know what was going on. Like, in his head, he's like, oh, I think I like Annabeth. What do I do about it? I know, flirt more than I ever have in my entire life with just one sentence. He's like, are we about to die? Guess I'll flirt. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Percy. <laughs> Maybe his adrenaline is rushing and his impulse control is, like, completely gone. So he just kind of, like, lets this, like, word vomit come out of his mouth. And Annabeth keeps it together really well. Like, I was like, I love a, I love a near-death uh, love confession in books. Mm -hmm. I'm into it. Annabeth is stronger than me. I would have just kissed him. I would have failed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure she's kind of, like throne but she's so focused on the the battle yeah. that's about to happen and the fact that she hasn't seen percy fight since he got his curse yet so who knows how he fights is he gonna actually be as good as he thinks he's gonna be <laughs> he's just gonna immediately die on the first monster he's just gonna go run into the minotaur and it's just gonna <laughs> swipe at him that would be embarrassing to do like a kid like a really romantic kiss and then he just goes and dies <laughs> what a way to go i know well, Percy heads straight for his old enemy, the Minotaur, and challenges him to a one-on-one -on -one fight, a duel. Percy also notes here that um, tied around the Minotaur's axe are dozens of necklaces from campers he killed. And I'd like oh to propose God. a theory that he actually bought these eclairs and is bad at killing campers. <laughs> I mean, Percy has killed him so many times as a child. Like, yeah. Okay, just once, but like once. as a child. That's a lot. Before yeah. he even knew he was a demigod, so, like, I have a feeling he's not as good as he thinks he is. Exactly. Like, maybe he just was, like, he went, you know, buying some new earrings for his nose, and was like, I'm gonna get some necklaces today. Yeah. I love that when he was buying him. the pants, he saw them yeah. in discount at the mall. <laughs> yeah. The Minotaur just walking down, like, a, a mall. I love that. Hmm. Well, Percy sees these necklaces and they make him really mad, so he attacks. He, it's like very quick, he just slices off the Minotaur's horn, steals his axe, slices him with his own axe, and then throws him into the river as he disintegrates, which is such a 
fuck. Like, I just am like, what? Percy is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary. Percy then charges an army of about 200 monsters, and thank God for the curse of Achilles, because he basically dodges everything and wreaks havoc and kills about 180 of them and says only, like, 20 are left, which is just absolutely bonkers. I'm just imagining him, like, helicoptering with the sword, (laughs) no skill whatsoever, and it's just luckily hitting all of the monsters. Yeah, and everyone who tries to, like, shoot at him, it's just, like, boing, bouncing off of him. (laughs) Yeah. He joins back up with the Apollo kids and Annabeth, and they drive the monsters back towards the Brooklyn side of the bridge. Annabeth calls out to Percy to pull back because they're already, they've already done what they needed to do, but Percy can't stop himself. He thinks to himself that he wants to destroy every monster. He then spots the monster's reinforcements. There's about 30 to 40 demigods riding in on mounted skeletal horses, and the lead horseman is Luke slash Kronos himself. When did they get skeleton horses? I don't know. Like, where did they... Isn't that Nico's thing? I know. (laughs) Percy then directs everyone to retreat, and Percy and Annabeth stay to hold them back while the Apollo folks try to retreat. Percy makes an effort to wound and not kill demigods. Him and Annabeth are fighting shoulder to shoulder, when suddenly he feels a chill in his spine, and Annabeth cries out in pain from behind him. Ethan Nakamura had been trying to stab Percy right in the back in his weak point. Out of sheer luck, he found it. And Annabeth, like, instinctively intercepted the knife with her own body, despite not knowing where Percy's weak spot was on his body. Blackjack comes down and swoops up Annabeth and to take her somewhere to recover, and Percy then fights Kronos slash Luke directly. Demigods on both sides are all blown off the bridge, and Percy glances to see that the remaining Apollo campers have all made it to the side to, to the like other side of the bridge, and they're off the bridge, except for Michael Yu, the one named one. Uh, Michael yells that the bridge is weak and tells Percy to break it with his powers. Percy does, and he opens a chasm in the bridge. Kronos and his army retreat, and Percy turns around to thank Michael Yu for the idea, only to see that Michael's bow is abandoned on the street, presumably after he fell into the river. And Percy's like, well, crap. And then the phone that he has, which is his mom's phone, rings just then, and Percy answers it to a worried Selena Beauregard. She tells him to come quickly and bring an Apollo healer. It's Annabeth. Whew, a lot happens there. Um... Mm -hmm. I do love the, like, full circle-ness of Percy killing the Minotaur here, how he did the- how in the first book he basically just killed it as a reflex and almost accidentally, like, he didn't really, like, think much, and this time it's very, like, strategic, and he just expertly kills the Minotaur, and it's really cool. And it's not even, like, the focal point of the chapter, right? Exactly. The first time it was, like, a whole thing where he's running and getting chased and his mom, like, disintegrates and all of that horrible stuff. And this one he's just, like, swipe and he's dead. Exactly. It's very cool. And it is believable. Like, a lot of the times I get annoyed when, like, a main character is, like, an amazing fighter and I'm like, okay, sure, you're 12. But, you know, like, Percy has trained and he is, like, part god and he has the curse of Achilles, so, like, he is He's OP. been doing this for a long time, too, at this Exactly, point. exactly. That's all he does, yeah. Yeah. And my other note is that as someone who has no understanding of the geography of New York, this chapter is very confusing to me and I can't visualize it and no, I'm not going to look at a map to help myself visualize <laughs> it because... I'd rather it just be kind of confusing in my brain. <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? This is the first time this read-through, and I've read this this specific book quite a few times, I realize this whole battle takes place at night. Yeah. 
I always thought it was during the day. And then wait, I is it night it. at this point? Already? Yeah, it is. Oh, really? I yeah. think so because like the next chapter they watch the sunrise. Oh wow! I never thought that. I always thought it was like during the day, and then they sleep during the night, but it's flipped. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So they're fighting in the dark. That's scary. But I mean, dark New York, so it's not that. Yeah. Dark. Yeah. All right. Chapter 12, Rachel makes a bad deal. That's literally the, like, one of the small points of the things that happen in this chapter, so prepare. Yep, yep. Percy grabs Will Solis, who is now name-dropped because he will now take over Michael's position (laughs) as the Apollo (laughs) head counselor. And he then asks the rest of the Apollo cabin to look for Michael while he makes his way back to the Plaza Hotel via motorcycle because Percy's having a hot boy summer, apparently. Like, he's dipped himself in the river sticks. He's super powerful. He's got multiple ladies. He's driving a motorcycle. I mean, yeah, sure, he might die at the end of the summer, but it's a hot boy summer for him. Yeah, what a way to go out. I know. Percy casually mentions that they chose the Plaza Hotel because it has attracted a bunch of older demigods in the past, and he, like, randomly name-drops the Beatles and then Alfred Hitchcock. I was like, okay, I guess. Just because they're good at something doesn't mean they have to be a demigod. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be demigods, so. We are. We are, remember? That's the whole, yeah, I forgot, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, just, like, ignoring my parents. Yeah. (laughs) Being a totally different parent. Yeah. There's a statue of Pompona, who's apparently a minor Roman goddess. She whines that nobody cares about the minor gods when Percy's like, are you Demeter? And she's like, no! How do you not know me? And states that they wouldn't be losing the war if they had minor gods on their side, which is an important point that'll come back later. Percy pays no attention to this, obviously. He's like, Annabeth is dying, and tells her to watch his bike and runs into the hotel. The demigods and hunters have taken over the top floors. They're bandaging the wounded and eating snacks. Percy runs to a chase where Annabeth is pale and looks like death and is lying down. Her wound is deep and it's been infected by poison. Percy's obviously distraught, but Will says that they got to her in time and begins healing her with nectar and magic Apollo powers while Percy holds her hand. Will then has the Hermes kid go to, like, an essentially a Walgreens and get more supplies for healing. He doesn't want to steal, but it's clearly an emergency, and the Hermes kids are like, we don't mind stealing, it's totally fine. (laughs) Percy's aware that literally everyone has been injured in some capacity except for him. Jake Mason promises Percy he'll use the shield to look out, because the enemy has withdrawn at sunrise for some reason, so they all have a time to recover and nap and whatever they need to do. Selena, who is tending to Annabeth, states that it's all her fault, saying that she really didn't provide anything to the fight she doesn't contribute she's not really even a good camper and Percy's very gentle with her he's like you're so good at riding the pegasi you're so talented also like anyone who can be friends with Clarice has some very extreme talent (laughs) it's true but then this sparks an idea in Selena she wants to go back to camp and convince Clarice to come and join the fight Percy doesn't think that's a good idea because it's going to be impossible for her to get out of the island and gets back to camp but also like he thinks convincing Clarice is a waste of time like it's not gonna work she's very stubborn but Selena insists and Annabeth and Percy have to reluctantly agree to let her go try 
Percy fusses over Annabeth and she says, you're cute when you're worried. Your eyebrows get all scrunched together. Percy asks her why she took a knife for him and she said that he would do the same for her. And he's like, yeah, 100%, like no doubt about it. But he's not happy that she did it. He asks her how she knew that was his Achilles spot, but Annabeth has no idea. She had this just a a vague feeling that Percy was in danger and threw herself in front of him. She asks where his spot is exactly and in such an intimate moment. I was like, is this flirting? Is she being brave and like flirting with him because he flirted earlier? So there's like this like less tension or is it she's delirious because she's stabbed (laughs) so she's just like doing whatever she wants she's not overthinking it anymore Mm -hmm. and he guides her hand to the small of his back and then just holds her hand while they run watch the sunrise together and they also watch some houses catch on fire because some ovens have been left on and this and that and i was like yikes oh so so intimate so intimate i love that there's a bunch of, mm. I know a lot of art artists have like taken this moment and drawn it because mm-hmm. it's a great piece of fanfic, great moment, just so intimate. It's like the opposite vibe of the uh, Annabeth yelling in the Athena cabin. It's like, yes, we finally, yeah. honestly, this entire chapter is like after last book where Annabeth is just angry the entire time with Percy and the most of this book where they just haven't seemed to be connecting well, it's like they finally get to this chapter where they're both like, reminded that they would take a knife for each other so they start over and they start like okay let's clear up all the the stuff that doesn't matter and just hang out and just so you're saying if you're ever in a fight with someone have someone else try to stab one of you (laughs) yeah i mean at that moment if she they don't jump in front of the knife you know that friendship's not worth fighting for so you exactly you're stabbed now so that sucks but like yeah that's that's unfortunate yeah yeah Annabeth explains to Percy why Hermes was so angry with her a couple chapters ago. It's something that's been bothering her for a while and she finally wants to share it. Before they went into the labyrinth last book, Luke showed up at Annabeth's house under the flag of truce. He was terrified. Apparently Cronus wanted to use him to take over the world. He was way over his head and he just wanted to run away together like when they were younger and be a family again. Obviously, like, Annabeth didn't trust him and told him to get lost. But then Luke became very upset, saying that she should just kill him right now because she would never get the chance again. Annabeth feels like she could have changed his mind if she had run away with him or talked to him or even killed him, which Percy then points out is ridiculous. Like, how is this grown man's decision to be evil now resting on Annabeth, a child's shoulders? Mm Mm-hmm. Luke had told Annabeth that Kronos would use him like a stepping stone, and now Annabeth wonders aloud if Kronos is only using Luke's body as a transition, and he will then become even more powerful somehow. Annabeth thinks the whole war, (laughs) the entire war is her fault. And Percy thinks about how Janice and Pan hinted that she had a decision to make, but that was after this encounter, so there's probably more to come. He also remembers Hestia's vision that he saw of when Annabeth was younger, and he feels like it has something to do with prophecy, but before he can talk to her, Connor walks into the room saying Grover has returned. I just like, I like this moment too, because finally Percy kind of understands 
a bit. I mean, we're assuming he understands the weight of like why Annabeth, the entire last book, was just being so mean to Rachel and so mean to him is that she was wrestling with this idea of like maybe she should have made a different decision. And then she has this weight on her shoulders. So now maybe he can start being more sympathetic and kinder Mm -hmm. to his best friend who took a knife for him. Come on. Yeah. Yep. Grover has mobilized all the nature spirits he could get to be involved. They had been covering all the places the demigods couldn't reach, but a lot of them have already died in the fighting. Talia comes in and joins their conversation, saying that Kronos' forces have gathered at every bridge and tunnel, and Kronos is not the only titan leading the cause. The Percy then remembers that golden titan from his dream with Nico. Talia believes that Kronos is waiting until night to attack because he needs time to regenerate and he's not really comfortable with his new form yet and it's been draining a lot of his powers to slow down time and do all the things that he needs to do. The gods are also out. Zeus has ordered all of them to stay and fight Typhon who is estimated to reach the Appalachian Mountains by midday. So Percy's guessing that they have about two days before Typhon reaches New York. Jake Mason also mentions that Cronus showed up right where Percy was going and avoided the hunters like he knew what their plan was. They know for sure they have a spy now, but Percy insists that they keep fighting like normal. If they're suspicious, they'll tear each other apart, and that's exactly probably what Cronus wants. And then they all go to get some rest. All right, we have two dream sequences. Let's begin. Whew. Percy in his dream sees Nico in Persephone's garden, attempting to summon his mother. Bianca stops him, saying that there's a lot of pain and hatred and a curse that stretches back to the great prophecy. She believes that the knowledge of this and what happened to their mother will only hurt Nico, since Hades' kid's fatal flaw flaw is holding grudges. Nico's like, Bianca, I'm not the same person I was you know a year or two ago I know this you've given me the knowledge that that is my fatal flaw I just need to know what happened so he's he ignores Bianca and he calls for Maria D'Angelo instead of her spirit we see a story instead there's a woman sitting in a lobby of an elegant hotel who looks a lot like a combination of Bianca and Nico baby Bianca and Nico are playing in the lobby chasing each other around and Hades who is for some reason in the form of an how Percy describes him as an oily man in a pinstripe suit. <laughs> I was like, why? Of all the things, you could be hot. Like, you could just choose yeah. to be hot. He has so much potential to be hot as the Lord of the Dead, and he, he, he chooses to look like this. Yeah, a pinstripe suit, like, of all oh. things. He's trying to convince Maria to come down to the underworld with him and there, and bring the children so he can keep them all safe he doesn't he's like i don't care what persephone will say and i was like i have a feeling persephone will eat maria but continue yeah (laughs) he says that they he has been forced into an agreement with his brothers and the gods have turned on all his children i was like yeah your children suck canonically it is hitler we should all (laughs) turn on your children oh no yeah Maria will not raise her children in the land of the dead. I was like, you've slept with the Lord of the dead. Like, what do you mean now you have standards? (laughs) Twice. Twice. At least twice. At least twice. (laughs) Zeus wants Hades to turn his children to Camp Half-Blood, where Hades believes they will be turned against him, or at least destroyed before they turn 16, so they cannot be the child of the prophecy. 
Which I was made me wonder, does Zeus want his kid to be the child of the prophecy? Do they all have children around that time because they want their child to be the child of the prophecy? Why like would they maybe? want that? That's but disgusting. they all stop having children because yeah. they don't want the prophecy to happen. Yeah. But then once the prophecy starts happening, Hades then took his children out and was like, go, I want you to do it because I don't want it to be Percy. Like, what? I mean, I think that's just more of the fact that he was like, well, Zeus is going to destroy my children in order for them not to be the child of prophecy. So therefore, <laughs> I'm going to bring my children back in it to just be a big middle finger. Even though he clearly has read the prophecy. So he knows yeah. his kid's going to die in theory. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care. Hades continues to beg Maria, who's carefree and is just like laughing and a very Italian, whatever, and does not <laughs> believe the gods would hurt children. And I was like, have you not read a single myth why doesn't no one in this world read the myths and the stories if they're gonna have full children with these gods maybe it's because no one who's read the myths would want to have a child with the gods that you know that's true that is true like they're left with the the people who aren't well read <laughs> <laughs> and the demigods that are also not well read no i think well. the demigods have to pick up the the pieces because they're like my parents yeah. did not read therefore i have to now know all this random knowledge yeah he she also believes hades will protect them hades is losing his mind afraid of losing the woman he loves she laughs it off and goes upstairs to get her purse suddenly the hotel explodes and hades hades only has time to protect his children from a dropped bomb hades while holding the broken form of maria curses zeus he asks a fury which has appeared above him to take his children and wipe their memory and leave them at the hotel lo- lotus. He's like, Zeus won't bother them there. A girl who looks strangely familiar to Percy comes up to Hades and basically says, I told you so, which is a stupid thing to do. Why does she have yeah. to show up? Why couldn't she, she have just like let it happen? Yeah, like maybe she kind of was a bit of a bitch, you know? I know. <laughs> Percy realizes he's looking at the Oracle of Delphi but not in the weird mummy form. She's like a normal girl. Hades blames the Oracle for ruining his life, even though she literally was just the messenger and even warned him earlier to protect his family sooner. But of course, you can never escape the prophecy. That's literally the story of Greek mythology, which Hades has lived literally his whole life. Mm-hmm. Hades then curses her, saying, I swear as long as my children remain outcasts, as long as I labor under the curse of your great prophecy, the Oracle of Delphi will never have a, another mortal host. You will never rest in peace. No other will take your place. Your body will wither and die, and still the Oracle spirit will be locked inside you. You will speak your bitter prophecies until you crumble into another. The Oracle will die with you. And then this Oracle screams and the vision ends. Which is like... I will Oof. say the gods have a great... They, their punishments are really clever. Like, they're very they specifically are. awful. Like, I would not have thought to imprison her host and her body forever. They're real creative. Yeah, which is unfortunate because they're never creative enough to, you know, figure out the prophecy correctly. Yeah. <laughs> or understand how the prophecy works. I just, like, I got so frustrated in this chapter with Hades. Mm-hmm. I was like, I get it, you're upset, you know, your girlfriend died or whatever. But you've been alive for literally eons. You're mm-hmm. a god. This, or, like Prophecies have catered and described the way that you lived your life, your whole life. How is it this point you're like, well, screw you. Yeah. Like, maybe you should know to listen to the oracle at this point. Yeah. Hades 
then appears in real time in front of Nico and demands to know what he thinks he's doing, and Percy's dream shifts. This time, Rachel is walking on a beach and writing something in the surf. It's an ancient Greek, and all Percy sees before the tide washes away the words is his name, Perseus, in ancient Greek, which Rachel doesn't know. Rachel seems to have an epiphany of whatever she's written and runs back to her family's villa. She begs her father to take her back to New York. She knows the city and Percy are in danger. She has to deliver him a message, but her dad refuses to leave his vacation, even though he's clearly not even enjoying it. She finally makes a deal to attend Clarion Ladies Academy if her father takes her back to New York. Her father agrees and makes arrangements to get them back to New York immediately. The dream ends and Percy's awoken to the news that they have visitors. A titan wants to talk to Percy under the flag of truce, and he has a message from Kronos. My only note that I really didn't talk about is why did Bianca stop Nico from seeing their mother? Like, what is she protecting him from? Like, what does she assume is going to happen? I don't know. I don't get that. Like, you'd think that, like, I guess she feels like she needs to protect Nico. Hmm. But I feel like it's more helpful for him to know everything than to be in the dark. Maybe it's that she thinks that he will also believe that the oracle is wrong and the gods are wrong, like Zeus and Mm. Poseidon, etc. Specifically again, because I mean, to be fair, to her credit, just like last book, Nico was hunting, you know, (laughs) souls to bring his sister back to life and like hated Percy and was refusing to be friends with him like nico grows up in a very short amount of time to becoming like a better round person round rounded person mm-hmm. so it's fair that nico i mean bianca assumes that he's going to be a little brat but i was surprised that she wouldn't want him to know about his mom and like be yeah. able to explain it herself and be like no it's not about that let's like talk it out honestly it's just no i'll need to go to therapy it's fine yeah yeah it just seems really weird that she wouldn't tell him. And also, like, we, like, she should know Nico by now, especially as a ghost. Like, you can literally, like, watch them always. Like, even when he was, like, really going through it and hunting, like, in, in the labyrinth to try to bring Bianca back to life and holding this grudge against Percy, he never acted on that grudge. Like, he never mm-hmm. actually tried to hurt Percy. Like, like, he, seeing this memory will make him mad at Zeus, but he's not gonna, like, try to kill Zeus you know well first of all you you can't but also like no offense to like literally everyone but um Zeus should die so I don't know yeah I don't think that's gonna offend many people except Except for Zeus whoa did I just hear lightning strike you (laughs) (laughs) if that's how I go that's how I go (laughs) angering Zeus yeah okay I got a couple of lightning bolt round questions for you okie dokes First one, what would you do if everyone in your city fell asleep for a day? Except you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'd walk around a lot at night. Knowing if I knew everyone was asleep, like I wouldn't get attacked. I think that would be really cool to walk around at night and just like be a woman out in the city at night. Wow, isn't being a woman so fun? It's so fun. (laughs) I love it. What about you? Um... I was like, if I could request that the city extends to, like, everyone I work with so that I don't get any emails for a day. that's true. That's the main. I would just, like, revel in not having anyone, like, contact me for a day. 
and like not feeling because and being like I wouldn't get like FOMO because they're all asleep like I'm not no one's ignoring me but also no one needs me (laughs) was it you and I like oh no when we were like 12 I must have been like maybe a little bit older I don't remember where we weren't contacted by anyone for a whole day and we were like I think that was us we were like what if everyone died (laughs) and we just don't know because you and I were like separate like out like on a were we on a hike we were out in like the the, the neighborhood we didn't we see doing. a single person we and we were probably like in middle school person. like walking 100%. around like under 14 like at the most oh my god I, I think I, I have like a very faint memory of that yeah you just saying that like I don't want to be contacted <laughs> I was like that feels like something that we've like we've talked about I mean at that time too we didn't really have social media Especially yeah. like social media on our phones. So yeah. we were just like, what if everyone is dead? Which is just like tells us are overactive. Oh my god, that Which, was just like a memory. Obviously the more realistic explanation than nobody just needs to talk to us today. <laughs> They're all annoying, dead. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Not the fact that just we're the only ones that text each other. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're together, no one's trying it's to gonna text us. us. Yeah. And we're like, why aren't our phones blowing up? I know. They're all dead. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. If you could wake up a statue, what statue would you wake up to defend your city? If you could only pick one. Hmm. Oh my god. Okay, I don't think you've ever seen this statue. I don't know why you would have. So, in Seattle, Mm -hmm. uh, Lenora and Forth. So there's a big office building, and for some reason, there's the weirdest statue I've ever seen. It's this really weirdly shaped man where he's real thick. Um, it's The statue is, like, really big, too. It's at least 10 feet tall. Um, and for some reason, he's got a, a little penis, and it's just out. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm going to send you a picture of it. Give me a second. Okay. But I would wake him up because he radiates such chaotic energy Something tells yeah. me he would fight to the death for me. I could see that. Yeah. He's I like called that. Adam by Fernando Botero in downtown Seattle. And I'm sending you a picture right now. He's just like... I like that you you know the name of it. <laughs> I Googled it. I just Googled the statue on Lenora and Forth because it works. He, he's next Oh, to- wow. He's well, a lot thicker than I was expecting. He's like, he's really thick. Like, I think I'd come up to his knee or maybe his, like, butt. At most. We're going to have to put that on the Instagram. So yeah, 100%. But uh, I saw Incredible. him. So I park there a lot, especially when I'm like downtown and like my roommate works in that building or near that building area. And so um, I walk by it a lot. And every time I see him, they've moved him, I think, recently. So he's no oh. longer there. But um, he just... He's just there, and I have no explanation of why he's there, what his purpose is. I like that. I like him. Yeah. What a good guy. Yeah. I was, the statue that came to mind, there's the statue downtown that I'm always very fascinated by. It's a cow with a dog riding on top of it. <laughs> and Oh, I know exactly which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And like... This year, at least, like, because I've been living here for, like, a year, and I noticed for the holidays, like, it gets decorated, and I saw the people doing it for, like, 
I think it was like St. Patrick's Day. It was like a group of old ladies decorating it with like shamrocks. And I was like, what is this statue? And I feel like, you know, it's a two for one kind of deal. I could have like a little dog that sneaks places and then this big cow that runs into things. Oh, 100% they cannot be separated from each other though. That's just how it works. Okay, well, I kind of like that for them. The dog can just yip while the cow plows into things, you know? I mean, also, it gives them an added height. Like, the dog can now reach higher places. Oh, yeah. You know? The only thing... I, that was my original idea, but your idea gave me, like, a second idea, which is that in... I think it's in Prague, there's this statue of this peeing man that, like, the it's, like, water is actually coming out, and it, like, rotates. It's like a <laughs> fountain statue. <laughs> And it would what just rotates pee. the man? The yeah, himself? it's like okay. I think it's like it's uh, it's like pelvis kind of moves to the side of it. Oh, so this the and there's two of them facing each other. I'll have to see if I have a photo. I don't think I have a photo of it. I might have to look it up. Yeah, I might have to. Okay, my last question: Would you ever take a sword for someone? <laughs> Jesus, I mean, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I mean, I'm like, the I thing guess. Is, the people that I would take, like, a sword or a knife for are people who would be very mad that I've done that. Mm. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. But that's, like, also telling of who they are. But, like, a lot of the people, I don't, I mean, being completely transparent, I'd like to believe I was brave enough and noble enough to take a sword for a stranger I don't know if that's true, being completely honest. I think if I saw a danger happening, I'd just, like, simply run away. Like, truth mm-hmm. be told, in a real setting, like, I'm five feet tall. I'm yeah. not going to do much damage. <laughs> um, but if it was, like, especially if it's, like, someone, like, a child or, like, someone mm. who's, like, very defenseless, it'd be, like, no hesitation in front of them. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd like question. to think I, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd like to think I would, but I also know that my stress response is often to freeze. So, mm. <laughs> we'll see, we, it would be very soon. But, you know, if I was already fighting, then I think I could do it. Yeah, I don't but know. But it would not, I would not do it for anyone. Yeah. Sorry, humanity. You know, after, after the last year and a half, I've realized that there are people out there who just really dampen humanity yeah unfortunately yeah you know yeah but anyways <laughs> I literally couldn't I couldn't think of a third question and I was like this feels like a dark question yeah, like really. it feels very personal I wanted to specifically say would you take a sword for me but <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're like oh my god I love the cow like the dog riding the cow statue would you die for me <laughs> would you get stabbed <laughs> but i was like that feels awesome too <laughs> i was like it might be funnier but <laughs> i love that i just like scroll down and just see hey would you die for me <laughs> yo how was your weekend do you need to talk <laughs> so good mm. well there we go there we have it our our episode <laughs> <laughs> well next episode the battle continues in chapters 13 through 15 a potential truce with the titan our favorite redhead makes her way back to new york in style and oh yeah tragically kind of so yeah 
Good for her. Mm. You can follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod and talk to us there and answer our lightning bolt questions. If you want long form, something a little bit more professional, email us, camphalfpod at gmail.com. Yeah, and we love your emails. Monica gets the emails and she keeps screenshotting them to me when they're like particularly cute and they, they make oh, our day. So good. My heart is so warm so warm Hmm. and don't forget to rate and review wherever you can and give us five stars and lots of love (laughs) because we love you (laughs) (laughs) okay bye